0: affordable housing but this summer mayor gregor robertson announced the city had
1: a plan they were going to tackle the crisis by providing a break on rent for lower income earners the problem critics say the city's new affordable rent project is anything but Jill bennett is in vancouver with more on this story Jill, let's break down the numbers so folks know whether this is or isn't affordable
2: well, the city says it's committed to providing housing that is affordable to anyone making between thirty dollars and $80,000 a year. And certainly the rezoning proposal for the building behind me aims to do that. But if you follow the rule of not spending more than 30% of your income on housing, the numbers don't add up. If completed, the building will look something like this, with market rental units ranging from the smallest, a 385-square-foot studio, to the largest, an 846-square-foot three-bedroom. The proposed starting rent, about $1,500 for the studio, $3,333 a month for the three-bedroom. What the development uh, is proposing is basically small units at very expensive rates that aren't going to be affordable to the average renter in Vancouver. The proposal comes comes on the heels of repeated promises from the city of Vancouver to find ways to bring more rental housing into the already overheated market.
3: 1,000 homes that will be uh, for people making thirty dollars to $80,000 incomes.
2: That was from a pilot project announced in Oak Ridge last summer. Rental 100 aims to help those in that income bracket, but the rents proposed at 220 West First don't seem to line up. But if you look at, for even a two-bedroom at 2500 a month, that's $30,000 a year. Um, that's, that's, a 30, that's going to be $30,000 a year in rent. Paying $3,400 a month is also what it costs to pay down roughly a $680,000 mortgage. That would cover the entire purchase price of a townhouse outside Vancouver, say in Langley. But in that case, the family income would have to be about $136,000 a year. So why would someone rent a much smaller place?
1: And if you actually looked at the cost of a $1.2 million apartment, you suddenly realize $3,300 a
4: month is actually not unreasonable.
2: A three-bedroom condo is listed just shy of $1.8 million in this building. Granted, it's three times the size of the new proposed rental units, but some say the city could still do better. The policy could certainly be tweaked to encourage more livable units at more affordable rates, um, especially when developers are getting significant benefits for building these kind of rental units.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the incentives that developers get. Uh, What were they offered in this case?
2: Well, Chris, under the Rental 100 plan, they often get things such as increased height and density and less parking. In this particular case, the developer asked that the $2.1 million development levy associated with the project be waived, and staff have endorsed that part of the plan. The whole project goes to public hearing on December 12th. Chris?
1: We'll see what happens then. Thanks, Jill. Dense fog creating some spectacular photo opportunities lately, but making travel very tricky today. Environment Canada has issued a fog advisory that was last night, and there was zero visibility in parts of Metro Van today. John Wa has more on what's causing it, and how long it's likely to last.
5: As many woke up across Metro Vancouver, much of the region covered in a thick blanket of fog. The stuff of nightmares for cyclists out on the commute. It can be really hard for motorists to see you, so it puts
6: yourself at risk. I always put my lights on at night, and today it was so foggy in the morning that I figured I would just throw them on just in case.
5: Environment Canada cautioning of near-zero visibility. In Metro Vancouver, East Vancouver Island the southern Gulf Islands and the Sunshine Coast.
7: It's extensive and it's thick, visibility very poor, and that's creating black ice on the roads. Environment Canada issues a fog advisory like we have now, and it will continue into tomorrow, perhaps into the weekend.
5: Still many complaining, it seemed that few motorists got the fog memo.
8: Terrible drivers, <laughs> yeah. Running, go, running red lights, like going through stop signs, no respect for cyclists. No different
5: than any other day. On top of your usual slowing down and offering more space, when you're dealing with conditions of near zero visibility, here are some extra tips for driving in the fog. You've got taillights, so make sure that they're on. Try to avoid using your high beams because that could reduce visibility even more. And never pull over
1: on the side of an active roadway. Find another uh, safer spot such as a parking lot or something off the roadway, uh, just to avoid getting uh, a rear end collision.
5: Cyclists and pedestrians bear some responsibility as well.
1: If you're a cyclist or a pedestrian, uh, wear gear that, uh, that you can be seen in. Uh, cross at designated crossing areas and avoid jaywalking. With little movement between the cold
5: moisture from the ground and warmer temperatures up above, there's still time to get used to being in the thick of it over the days to come. John Hua, Global News.
0: An important traffic alert for drivers in South Surrey. Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure announcing today that until further notice, traffic on Highway 99 northbound will be restricted to a single lane and traffic on... A 152nd Street over Highway 99 will be restricted to a single southbound lane. The decision comes after the overpass sustained serious structural damage when it was hit by an over commercial vehicle earlier this week. The ministry is in the process of developing a repair plan, including design, cost estimate and timeline. They say the work is a priority and they'll begin as soon as possible. An update will be provided in early January.
1: And the idea of a fixed link between the Sunshine Coast and the rest of the Lower Mainland is dead. The Ministry of Transportation completed its feasibility study, concluding a fixed link crossing would have considerable technical and financial challenges. Also, none of the options completely eliminates the need for ferry travel.
0: The National Energy Board ruling against the city of Burnaby today, bringing Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project one step closer to reality. Nadia Stewart joins us from the newsroom with more on this. Nadia, what happens with the project now? Well, Sophie, with this ruling, Trans Mountain has the green light to begin
9: work at its temporary site near the Westridge Marine Terminal and at the Burnaby Terminal. The fight to stop this $7.4 billion project has been going on for years now, but this latest development is drawing sharp criticism. Obviously, the city of Burnaby is not impressed. Environmental groups are angry. There is a feeling tonight among those groups that this decision is precedent setting in that it suggests cities don't really have a say on these major energy projects. Sophie.
0: All right, Nadia. What about the other side?
9: Have we heard anything from Trans Mountain about this? Yeah, they did release a a short statement saying this decision reinforces their view that this federally approved project is in the national interest. They are waiting to hear back from the NEB on another motion, but that won't stop them from beginning work in Burnaby. Back to you, Soph.
1: All
0: right, thanks for that. Nadia Stewart reporting.
1: The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team now says foul play is suspected in the disappearance of a Surrey mother. We first told you about San Lee Lau back in May. The investigation to date has revealed that Lau may be a victim of homicide. IHIT has now taken over the case. Lau was last seen leaving her workplace in the 14900 block of 54A Avenue, May 26th. Her green 2000 Toyota Sienna was located in the area of the Guildford Recreation Center on May 29th. Anyone with information is asked to call IHIT or Crime Stoppers.
0: Abbotsford Police need your help to identify a suspect in an assault. This CCTV camera image captured the suspect moments before the assault. It happened last month. Police say the man followed a 23-year-old woman for one block before pushing her from behind and attempting to restrain her. Thankfully, she was able to get away and run to safety. The suspect is described as a chubby white male in his 30s about 5 feet 10 inches tall, with black, patchy facial hair. Anyone with information is asked to call Abbotsford Police.
1: Langley RCMP are, review, are renewing their plea to help find a missing woman, hoping that new video will help locate 20-year-old Christina Ward. Ward was reported missing on September 29th, and today police released new video from September 27th, sometime between 7.50 and 8.45 p.m., that shows Ward crossing the street at 104th Avenue and 142nd Street in Surrey. She's walking with a man who's pushing a bicycle. This is the last confirmed sighting of Christina, and investigators would like to identify and speak to the man in the video. Anyone with information, again, asked to call Langley RCMP.
0: Conflicting opinions tonight on whether or not racism is a problem in the Cowichan Valley School District. The allegations were made after a video of a fight between a Caucasian and First Nations high school student was posted on social media. And while the school district and Cowichan tribes say there is no systemic race issue, Nitu Garcha explains why some parents and students feel very differently.
9: A student falls to the ground. But the kicking, punching and beating
7: doesn't stop. My young relative was getting stomped on and that's what really made me furious because it was in the beginning, you know, just a one-on-one, but then then everybody just sort of got riled up.
9: This brawl happened Monday afternoon near Cowichan Secondary, and some are convinced it's more evidence of an ongoing racism problem at the school. We've blurred their faces to help prevent any further escalation of the situation.
4: We brought to their attention about two two weeks ago. We told the principal about this. My son told him about a month ago.
8: They've been calling our children down and saying that they were trash and
9: that they didn't belong here and they wanted them to leave. Is there a systemic racism issue at Couch and
2: Secondary? I would say not.
9: Still, the Cowichan Valley School District is ramping up efforts to educate students. It's a very extraordinary reaction by our community, but it does tell us um, we need to do some work. The school district and Cowichan tribes have been meeting to come up with a program to promote values of inclusion and diversity. It'll be added to the school curriculum at Cowichan Secondary.
5: We realize that something has to happen today.
9: On Thursday, the school posted this photo on Facebook, identifying two teens involved in the fight. One indigenous, the other Caucasian, saying they've made up and that for them, this fight was not about race. Eight students have been suspended. One of them, this man says, sent him threats online, demanding he take down video of the fight he posted on Facebook. One message reads, if it's not gone by this weekend, I'm coming for you. I know where you live.
7: It's scary. We're all only human and, uh, you know, we want the best for the children in this community and to to have unity. And, you know, we we just want to get along.
0: Me Too Garcha, Global News, Duncan. Nearly 1,000 new classrooms are coming to Surrey. The provincial government announcing today it is spending more than $30 million, 24 for an elementary school in Grandview Heights, and 9 million for a 300-seat expansion for Pacific Heights Elementary. Construction is expected to begin at Pacific Heights next May, with classrooms ready by September of 2019. And the new Grandview Heights school is scheduled to open in the 2020-21 school year.
1: And on the topic of investment, Whistler Blackcomb is getting a huge one. The resort community is getting a $66 million cash injection that will go towards three new lifts. Aaron MacArthur has more on the transformative investment and the challenges it could bring. Aaron. On its busiest day,
10: Whistler Blackcomb handles about 30,000 skiers and boarders. The resort wants to push that number higher. There are questions, though whether the mountains or the village can handle it. With so many ways up the mountain, it's surprising how long people have to wait on the busiest days of the year. Now Whistler's parent company, Vail Resorts, is spending big on a new gondola and six-person chairlift for Blackcomb, which are set to boost capacity by 47%.
2: No more lift lines, hopefully, up here, and you don't have to sit in a bloody chairlift. It's a gondi.
10: Much better. While more people will be able to access more terrain on the mountain, Many people wonder if the village can handle the extra volume. It's an issue the resort is prepared to deal with. We want to take the guest experience on the mountain
7: and make it the best it can possibly be. We know there are larger issues out in the community. We continue to partner with, with the local municipality and our other partners to do
10: everything we can to minimize any impacts on that. The resort municipality is welcoming the new investment, but some locals think there's been enough growth already. So you spend $6, $6 million to
6: get more people left, more capacity, more ticket sales, that's what it's all about right now. It's not about the average skier, it's not about the average day ticker, it's about more of everything as a company.
10: The money means a huge summer attraction, including a water park, have now been shelved, a project that never really fit with the community's vision of itself.
11: Uh, I think they've made the right decision to just put that on the side for the time being and to increase the capacity on the on the hills. Great decision.
10: The $66 million is set to be spent next year. Vendor contracts have yet to be signed, but by opening day 2018, Blackcomb is set to have three new lifts up and running.
0: Right now, though, for the fourth straight day, firefighters in Southern California battled Mother Nature, trying to make some headway against at least four major fires tearing through the region.
1: And while the winds were slightly less than feared, they were still strong enough to drive more people from their homes.
6: It happened again overnight. Flames racing towards the popular resort town, Ojai. Firestorms raining down on communities throughout Southern California. This is exactly what firefighters fear. Powerful Santa Ana winds, fanning flames in every direction. Evacuees by the thousands scrambling from their homes. This hospital emptied in the middle of the night. Today, reinforcements coming to join 5,500 firefighters attacking from the ground. NBCLA's Eliana Moreno is over the Ventura coast.
12: The Thomas fire has now made its way all the way to the Pacific Ocean, and it is affecting these beachside community homes.
6: Four massive wildfires with no control in sight. And now a new front outside San Diego. Tonight in this tortured landscape, many realizing they'll spend the holidays rebuilding their lives. Patricia Hampton and her family lost a lifetime of memories in minutes. The house was so thick and the fires were huge. Here we go. Wind gusts up to 70 miles per hour. Unpredictable and explosive, limiting the air attack.
5: We may have as little as five minutes before the fire shows up. It's, it's, it's very quick. It's dangerous. It's critical.
6: With 125,000 acres already charred, smoke is pouring across Southern California, visible from the space station. The air quality so toxic, more than 400 schools are closed. Stretches of Highway 101 were shut down. With 20,000 homes still in the path of fire. Tonight, the battle has just
1: begun. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Ventura County. And this dramatic rescue in the midst of the inferno is burning up the internet right now. A frantic driver pulls over after seeing a rabbit trying to escape the flames. At first, he's not quick enough to prevent it from running back into the bush. His distress obvious, but he sticks with it and eventually manages to grab the bunny and take it to safety. Amazing. Some say B.C.'s sockeye salmon population is flirting with extinction and must be immediately designated as an at-risk species.
0: That is the verdict of a new independent report that follows this year's abysmally low rate of return. Linda Ellsworth explains what the at-risk designation would mean. B.C.'s
13: Fraser River sockeye salmon are struggling to survive. That is not new. What is new? The latest numbers from the Committee on the Status of Endangered Wildlife in Canada, Coast Seawick.
4: Unfortunately, the news is not very good. A third of those are endangered, the last stop on the doorstep before extinction. Um, Another third are of some elevated level of concern.
13: Since the Cohen Commission tried to rectify the situation with a number of recommendations in 2010, only some of which have been implemented, the situation has become even more dire.
5: We know that the federal government, their existing tools have not been getting the job done in terms of protecting these, these salmon from the existing threats.
13: But that might be about to change because COSEWIC, a federally mandated body of independent scientists, has recommended that 15 out of 24 populations of sockeye in the Fraser River be listed under the Federal Species at Risk Act.
5: It will give them a mandate to put in place not just protections but rebuilding plans so that we can get back what we've lost And and that's what we need to do.
13: We already know what needs to be done, like limiting fisheries captures, reducing habitat destruction and development, doing more to combat climate change.
4: And, And we need to make sure that we're not putting things like fish farms in the way of these fish.
13: But it's not a done deal. It's up to the federal environment minister to decide whether or not to accept the recommendation and add Fraser River sockeye to the Species at Risk Act.
4: The political decision to make the listing and then start taking actions based on the listing can be delayed for years. We need to not see that.
5: And so now the real test for this government will be, how
1: much do you care about BC salmon?
13: Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
1: Some Surrey students went on a virtual dive off Vancouver Island today thanks to high speed internet. The students watched a live interactive underwater dive near Bamfield, just south of Uclulit, and were actually able to communicate in real time with the divers. It's part of a government program that will bring high speed internet to more than 200 remote BC communities.
2: What's the coolest thing you've come across while working?
6: From time to time, diving here, we actually get to see octopus, hundreds of rockfish and perch around the piles. and this is just in front of
8: where I work,
6: so, you know, this is really cool, but when you add an octopus or another really special organism, it really is quite phenomenal.
1: The government's promising improved Internet access to more than 40,000 households through the Connecting British Columbia program.
0: B.C.'s First Nations community has lost a beloved leader. Leonard George, an elder and chief of the tsleil Nation, has died at the age of 71. He was the son of the late chief Dan George and his wife Amy, and like his father, appeared in movies. He's also known for his work to protect First Nations land, water, resources, and culture. He's survived by his wife, Susan, and three sons.
1: A man holding a Palestinian flag smashes the windows of a kosher restaurant in Amsterdam. This comes one day after Donald Trump enraged the Arab and Muslim worlds by recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital. At first, two police officers stand and watch, but eventually they do subdue the offender with pepper spray and wrestle him to the ground.
0: And not surprisingly, thousands of Palestinians continued angry protests today against Trump's decision in East Jerusalem and the West Bank.
1: And Israeli forces are bracing for worse violence tomorrow as a growing number of Palestinians call for an armed uprising. This was
4: day one of President Trump's new plan, which he says will foster peace in the Middle East. But peace was in short supply today. Palestinians rejecting the president's declaration that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. You can see they have been lighting fires here. They're burning tires, using the smoke to provide a smoke screen. Palestinians threw stones at Israeli troops. The troops fired rubber bullets and tear gas. There's talk of a new uprising starting, what Palestinians call an intifada. They say they tried the peace process for decades, but that President Trump's comments show it didn't work. This could become an armed conflict, said one of the young stone throwers. Everything is possible. And clashes are expected here in Jerusalem tomorrow. Palestinians say they've lost confidence in the United States' ability to be an honest broker, so now they're looking for a new way to achieve their goal of a state with East Jerusalem as its capital.
0: Well, just a few weeks ago, he was a rising star in the Democratic Party. But today, Minnesota Senator Al Franken bowed to pressure and resigned over those growing allegations of sexual misconduct. And he took a shot at President Trump in the process.
6: I, of all people, am aware that there is some irony in the fact that I am leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office.
0: Franken had earlier apologized for his behavior back in 2006 toward an L.A. radio personality, but he denies the more recent allegations against him.
1: In Health Matters tonight, another impressive advance in the field of surgical medicine. University of Minnesota researchers say they can now use 3-D printing to create lifelike organs that can better help surgeons prepare for operations. Unlike existing 3D organ models, these can be cut into, they can be sutured, and even give doctors instant electronic feedback. The organs can also be specific to each patient as the researchers begin by analyzing actual MRI scans and tissue samples.
0: And 3D technology is also helping four-legged patients recover from serious injuries. In California, Loka, a four-month-old bull terrier, had extensive damage to her skull and jaw when she was attacked by another dog. Using her x-rays, doctors printed a custom-fit mask to act as a cast of sorts after reconstructive surgery. After a three-day hospital stay, Loka was already eating soft food. And three months after the surgery she's healing well. A family shocked to find out who was stealing their Christmas treats right after the forecast.
1: And a Christmas tradition for us to talk about right now. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is in Vancouver at Canuck Place for the lighting of Canuck Place tonight, Christy.
8: That's right. So it's a big night down here at Canuck Place. We lit over 60,000 colorful lights. And it was the Cunningham family who did the honors. Now, two-year-old Lumina, which is a very fitting name, uh, she's been in and out of the house all of her life. Uh, she and her sister, who's three and a half, and a therapy dog, Poppy, did the honors of lighting the lights. Let's have a look.
5: Three,
2: two, one. Woo!
8: What a special time of year for any child. But for the kids here at Canuck Place, it is extra special. And tonight is all about creating memories for these children. And it was so nice to see so many smiling faces. There's hundreds of Canuck Place supporters and partners, families and friends here tonight to all help celebrate. Now, it is a little bit of a chilly night, that's for sure, and the fog is thick, but we'll take it. At least it's not raining. Let's have a look at the weather forecast. I thought I would start off with a nice shot of the fog. It is a little eerie, but it's also very beautiful. When we look at some of these shots across the region, looking out over the fog, you can see uh, very thick, and there is a fog advisory in effect. Um, through the morning hours, it was a little thinner in some areas like Boundary Bay, but under the the really thick fog, it, boy, was it cold. So temperatures only warmed up to about 4 degrees and we were at minus 1 through the morning hours so it was certainly chilly and frosty through the morning hours. Those of you out in the Fraser Valley though, boy it warmed up. 9 and 10 degrees with sunshine. A lot of sunshine higher up. This is a strong inversion and it's creating a lot of cloud cover in through the central and southern interior as well. You're just not able to break out of it. So it's cloudy and cool lower down. It's sunny and warm higher up. There's your forecast for tomorrow. North coast unfortunately a bit of a break. You'll see the rain push in. There's a risk of freezing rain as well. But anywhere further inland from uh, Smithers, dry conditions just dealing with that valley cloud. Uh, morning fog as well. Frosty conditions in the morning. South coast expects similar pattern to what we saw today with a fair amount of fog, especially near the water and at low-lying areas. But if you're out in the Fraser Valley or higher up, lots of sunshine. And this pattern is going to continue right through. I am hoping for more sunshine though on Saturday. Happy birthday to Brownie Lake as well. Ellen Stock, congratulations to you both. And I want to introduce you now to Dr. Hal Seiden. He's a director here at uh, Canuck Place. Thanks for being here. Now, Christy,
7: thank you for being here and thank you to everyone in Global and joining us tonight. Yeah. Our,
8: our pleasure. Now, we uh, talked about the Cunningham family uh, earlier who lit up the light. So, what does it mean a night like this to families like that?
7: Well, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. There's about 360 families on the clinical program, 700 families total. And for them, it's a night to come out, enjoy the beautiful lights, but to mingle with the donors who they really feel are their supporters. The community truly supports this program and they really feel that love.
8: And what does Canuck Place mean for families like that? I mean, she's been in and out for all of her life, Lumina.
7: You know, for all these families, it's a journey of uncertainty and we provide a base and a home. And in fact, we're reaching into people's homes with expansion into their homes with a Home service program we're going to be opening our beds in Abbotsford so all of those things are important to families.
8: Very complex uh, care that's also been given here. Uh, if you would like to donate go to uh, canuckplace.org that's a great place to uh, be able to donate all the way through the holiday season you can come and enjoy the the lights as well. Chris so back to you.
1: And sign up for the adventure race next year too I know I'll be in it and, uh, and Dr. Sidon uh, has always been a big supporter too. Thanks very much and happy holidays to everybody down there
0: sure. Every year, a family in Maplewood, New Jersey, puts out a tray of Christmas treats for the mailman and other delivery people. But this year, they were saddened when it was ransacked.
1: At first, they blamed the local kids until they watched their security video. Turns out the real culprit is a local squirrel. And judging by its size, it's been eating pretty well. And considering it made off with more than two dozen squares of Girardelli chocolate, it's not going to be losing any weight this season either. The family has now put the chocolate in a jar that requires opposable thumbs.
0: Well, while many Canadian families are phasing out sending Christmas cards, others are updating the tradition. And for some, it means getting creative and raising the stakes every year.
7: I still think this was one of the most creative though.
11: Nothing says Christmas for the best family like a kooky do-it-yourself Christmas card. They've made a tradition of handing out their not-so-traditional family photos.
5: We've been jailbirds, we've been electrocuted, we've
4: been uh, flashed by Santa.
11: It all started six years ago by accident. Older brother Jared took this unstaged picture. The family sent the candid shot out to friends just for fun. It set the stage for annual creative shots, usually dreamed up by Mom Nadine. It gets harder
13: every year. My family gets annoyed every fall when I say, OK, it's time to come up with our Christmas card idea. Come on, we got to come up with ideas. And they all just kind of roll their eyes. They're like, come on.
11: It might not be what Sir Henry Cole imagined when he asked his artist friend to design this card in 1843. It's recorded as the first commercially printed Christmas card. Today, a lot of Canadians are saying happy holidays with humour, like this one sent out late. The message was, sorry we missed the holidays.
4: I think
6: people like to see the family grow and change and people grow up and what they're doing every year.
11: The best part for Dad Doug is getting time with his family.
4: It gets us together as a group and, uh, and a chance to be silly and, and, of course, our friends to see us at our worst.
11: By ditching picture perfect for Laugh Out Loud,
3: Laurel Gregory, Global News.
1: Sad faces for the Canucks and Bull Horvat
3: well, right now. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's the one you didn't want. Yeah. Not that you want an injury, but this is the one you really didn't want. Uh, tonight, the Canucks are at home to Philadelphia. They will play this game, and they'll play a lot of others without Bo Horvat. That collision he had with the boards on Tuesday, the one we showed you before the commercial break against Carolina, left him with a broken foot. Now, the Vancouver Canucks have surprised everyone with how well they have played so far this season, especially considering some of the other injuries they have had to deal with. But if they can keep playing well without Bo Horvat, that would be the most surprising thing of all. And Horvat trying to go wide on Tavares, he does. Horvat moving in with the try
7: scores. He's the one player the Canucks could least afford to lose for an extended time, but Bo Horvat won't be back until mid-January at the earliest. Horvat is the Canucks' most complete player. He does everything: faceoffs, penalty kill, power play. He's an offensive leader and a dependable defender. And with Brandon Sutter already out, the Canucks have a gaping hole at center.
1: It's a big challenge, a big hole. Both those guys provide a lot to our team. Uh, obviously, with matchup lines, both of them play against top lines, and uh, you know they're both good on face-off. So it's a good, it's a good opportunity for someone else on our team to step up and next in line.
7: Next in line is Russian Alex Bermistrov, who's already been a healthy scratch 11 times this year. Will he slot right into Horvat's spot to play alongside rookie sensation Brock Besser? That remains to be seen, but Bermistrov needs to start producing. He's got just one goal and five points in 17 games.
6: You know, I got to help the team win the game, and uh, I think I got to score some goals, you know, give my teammates some uh, assists,
3: you know, make some plays. So I think that's my game.
1: You know i talked to him the other day just hang in there you're gonna get another opportunity i didn't expect it to happen this way
7: another who could see time at center is sam gagne he's been noticeably better the past few weeks starting to feel more comfortable in a
6: canuck uniform
1: i do feel better than i did at the beginning and you just want to keep acclimatizing yourself and keep trying to improve and uh keep trying to cement the role and uh you know i think that uh you know if your mindset is just focusing on trying to help the team win games uh, uh, it's going to happen. The Sedins ice time
7: will almost certainly go up they'll need to pick up the slack offensively, but Henrik feels the style the team plays this season should help soften the blow of the Horvat injury. I think it's a fairly simple hockey we're playing, I mean it's, uh, it's, it's about quickness and uh, turning the pucks the other way as, as quick as possible and it's uh, it's not a lot of thinking going on out there, it's, you know when, when we get the puck you know what to, what to do and uh, that makes it easy i think for guys coming coming into line
3: very delayed global sports well we have waited to say this for a long time the nhl has finally given seattle the go ahead to apply for a team to play in refurbished key arena now key arena's renovations are not going to be done until 2020 so there would not be an nhl team in seattle until 2020. here's the thing though it's not a done deal yet the nhl would like it to be an expansion team but the ownership group would have to ante up $650 million just to join the league. Now, there is a chance they could move an existing franchise to Seattle, but the NHL would rather do an expansion team because that would mean an even number of 32 teams, and, of course, the owners would get expansion money, and they love that. Uh, This year, the World Junior Hockey Championships are in Buffalo. Next year, Vancouver and Victoria will share hosting duties. Now... Vancouver, along with Kelowna and Kamloops, had the World Juniors here in 2006. Canada won. The crowds were incredible. In fact, it set a new attendance record, averaging 10,488 people per game, and they expect the same kind of thing when they start the tournament next Boxing Day and uh, finishing up uh, and finish it up in January of 2019.
7: Uh, we're excited about it. Uh, there's more people who want to be involved. Um, we, um, we opened up the ticket sales to our season ticket holders and the Canuck season ticket holders, and, you know, we're virtually over half sold already. Uh, we go out to the
3: general public tomorrow, and there's still lots of great seats, so not, not to be worried about that. There is a strong possibility the Vancouver Whitecaps will make a deal with New England to get veteran striker Kay Kamara in a tray. Kamara isn't young. He's 33, but he's always been a good goal scorer, no matter where he has played in MLS Now, the Cavs were interested in getting him in a trade last year when he played for Columbus, but the deal fell through. Two years ago when he played for Columbus, he scored 22 times. He's played for five different teams in Major League Soccer since 2006, so he has the experience. He got 12 goals this past season for New England, so he still has a scoring touch, and with it looking more and more likely that Freddie Montero might stay in China and play in 2018, Camara would be one of his replacements. And George St-Pierre has given up the UFC middleweight title. He just won over a month ago, won that after a four-year hiatus and moving up in weight as well. The main reason, GSP is needing time to deal with colitis, which he was recently diagnosed with.
7: Here is a look at the conditions on the mountains. No new snow expected for several days ahead, but good-looking bases. Whistler Blackcomb 145 centimeters, Grouse a base of 180, Cypress 200, Sasquatch opens December 15th. In the interior, Rebel Stoke, a base of 122, Manning Park 75, and Powder King 170. In the southern interior, Big White, a base of 108 centimeters, Silver Star 102, Sun Peaks at 84, and Apex at 74.
0: Coming up on ET Canada, why Fergie is opening up now about her crystal meth addiction. Also coming up, the latest on Ed Sheeran's major new honor from the Queen, and a first look at Jurassic World, fallen kingdom that's coming up at seven
3: right after the news hour back to you chris and sophie
0: thank you very much carlos a business that began in a garage is reaching a new peak in vernon
3: yes
1: you may not have heard of skevic skis but a lot of locals sure have and as megan Turcato reports the founder's biggest challenge will be managing his popularity (laughs)
12: Around 200 pairs of high-performance skis are manufactured in this Vernon workshop every year.
6: So I personally lay up every single set of skis, Um, just, you know, quality control is our number one thing for sure.
12: What's now a fully fledged business started out over a decade ago with two brothers who liked building things and started making skis in the garage as a hobby. But they've come a long way since then.
6: Once we got this pressed, we go back into the dust room and then follow the edge on the bandsaw.
12: Through a process of trial and error and a lot of research, they learned what worked and ultimately turned that hobby into a business. Some of their skis are sold locally. They're on the shelf at this Vernon Ski Shop alongside the big brand names.
5: Most customers that hear about it are kind of blown away this is even happening in town.
12: But the business is also shipping their skis, which retail for $795 to other parts of Canada and internationally. Keeping the local flavor by featuring graphics done by BC
6: artists. This is my full time job. Are we making money? Uh, you know, we're still rolling, but like I said, we, we do need to get those numbers up to, you know, really make it a success. But he wants to
12: keep Skevik local.
6: Because I don't want to become a massive company. I wanna, you know, be building skis. I don't want to be managing, you know, employees.
12: Modest goals for this local craftsman passionate about his skis. Megan Turcado, Global News, Vernon.
1: Looks steep. Mm-hmm. Skevic named after his grandfather. By oh, the way. is it's that kind of what
0: cool. it is? Yeah. All right, let's head back to Canuck Place where they're lighting up the holiday season. Christy Gordon down there. Christy?
8: <laughs> Thanks, Alfie. It was a special night down here at Canuck Place. Literally hundreds of supporters uh, of Canuck Place, family and friend helped celebrate this spectacular lighting of the house. And it really made a special, a special evening for the kids here at the house. And I tell you, it was. The fog was pretty thick here, and it is chilly, but we'll take it. It's nice to not have the rain, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely beautiful. It's, and it's on Matthews just off of Granville if you want to drive by and have a look yeah. at it, too. It's beautiful.